Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, LendingLies.com, and the Garfield Firm. Servicing all 50 states and 24 countries with news and analysis about the largest economic crime in human history. This program is for general information only and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice or consultation with a licensed professional. This show is not intended as a solicitation for the engagement of any services. And now, presenting world-renowned author, trial lawyer, CLE lecturer, and court-approved expert witness on securitization of death, Neil Garfield. Good evening. This is Neil Garfield. This is Thursday, January 21st, 2021. Congratulations to our new president and vice president. We all look forward to a revival of the role of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. I'm broadcasting live from Duval County, Florida. Existence, ownership, and authority. Those are the three elements of every foreclosure case and every foreclosure defense. And I will refer to them as the three elements, existence, ownership, and authority. The foreclosure teams confronting homeowners and their lawyers don't have any of those things. They don't have the existence of the debt, they don't have ownership of the debt, and they don't have authority to administer, enforce, or collect it. If the debt existed, there would be a loan account receivable on the accounting ledgers of somebody. Instead, all they show is a payment history. And you can't have ownership over an account receivable if there is no account receivable. And you can't have any authority to administer, collect, or enforce a loan as an account receivable if it does not exist. Contrary to what has been said on the Internet, including at times on my own blog. There were no sales of loans. There were no loans, actually. And there was no securitization. You don't have to buy that there were no loans for the moment, but you'll find out if you do the, uh, contest these uh, enforcement actions that there's no loan there. Sounds crazy? Test it out. I did, and so have hundreds of other lawyers and people who achieved great results. This show is devoted to convincing lawyers who will listen that they are missing out on something very profitable and important. So if you're a homeowner, make sure that you send a link to this show to lawyers who are on the fence or even other lawyers. Representing homeowners faced with foreclosure papers can and does present an opportunity for large paydays, consistent victories in court, and playing a part in changing the trajectory of home finance in this country and perhaps even abroad. There are no guarantees in court, but lawyers and homeowners have been giving it away for 20 years. We can all stop that. Like 2008, this is a time to accept engagements from small landlords whose retirement and livelihood depends upon rental income from one or two properties. 
like their consumer homeowner counterparts, they too are entitled to be free from enforcement of most transactions that were falsely labeled as loans. These are people who can afford to pay lawyers and who must pay lawyers or else lose their largest investments. And you go into court without the taints that most consumer homeowners endure about wishing for a free house without rent. That's how they're viewed. The investor who has purchased property is not viewed that way generally. In 2008, I presented a seminar that provided the essentials of foreclosure defense as we knew them at that time. And we repeated that seminar several times in different parts of the country. It was all CLE accredited. In that seminar, I also presented a business plan for how lawyers could do it. We all know that most homeowners can't come up with a generally can't come up with a fifteen or twenty thousand dollar retainer. The plan I came up with was a hub and spoke plan that allowed homeowners to pay monthly based upon the known length of time that any foreclosure would last. About a dozen lawyers that I know followed my instructions, and they made millions of dollars. In fact, today I spoke with one lawyer from back then who consistently earned around a million dollars per year in foreclosure defense fees for many years and who still earns more than 400000 a year. It's time for a new push. Back in 2006 to 2010, there were lawyers all over the country winning cases for homeowners in state courts, in federal bankruptcy courts, everywhere. But the victories didn't last because cases were dismissed without prejudice. And so the investment banks were able to direct the filing of new foreclosure actions using different the names of different parties as claimants or plaintiffs, depending upon whether it was non-judicial or judicial. By claimant, I mean the same thing as a beneficiary under a deed of trust. Most of those foreclosures succeeded because we had not yet refined the defense. Remember, show me the note? We were very close with that, but we avoided show me the debt because we thought that was the third rail on which we would get fried. We were wrong. It was the third rail, but not for homeowners. It is the fatal defect of nearly all foreclosures. Now we have refined the approach, and I can report with complete confidence that your chances of success based upon my experience with thousands of cases your chances are of success are above 65% in obtaining a judgment for the homeowner. And that following my new marketing plan will result in millions of dollars in new revenue to your firm. On my blog, I have reported the many cases, including those in which I was lead counsel, in which a skeptical judge in other words, hostile to the homeowner, enter judgment for the homeowner along with findings of fact and conclusions of law that said the foreclosure was essentially a sham. 
the documents were fabricated. The so-called trust didn't and couldn't have owned the so-called loan. We're planning courses and seminars for lawyers and homeowners, including small investors who own only a few properties. Just like criminal law, people under pressure can come up with the required fees to engage a lawyer. The assumption by a lawyer that somebody who can't pay their mortgage can't pay their lawyer is wrong. They're not paying their mortgage, then they can pay a lawyer, and very often they can come up with the money from other resources. If you make it palatable to them with the hub-and-spoke business plan, they can and will pay your fees. We proved that in 2008, 2009, 2010, etc. So some of the awards that were given by settlement or judgment back then were enormous. In addition to just getting paid fees, there's another payday, and it is a big one. So here's the kicker. You can get fee awards, and recent decisions in Florida means that that's reinstated. And on top of that, a new dawn is rising. As more courts recognize that the foreclosures are scams, there will be a resurgence of sanctions. Sanctions in the amount of five, six, or seven figures. And the possibility for a collateral lawsuit seeking compensatory and punitive damages. Get your heads out of the sand. Stop thinking you know what this is about. If you're not an investment banker, you don't. I was right before and I'm right again. Just ask anyone who is active in this field. Some of the awards or settlements exceeded $30 million. Lynn Simoniak caught them dead to rights and she got paid over $30 million. This is not fake news. It is old history that is being revived. Just as importantly, when more of these cases are won by homeowners than those that are won by the foreclosure mill, the, the tide will turn. What I'm saying is if more homeowners are winning than the foreclosure mills, the tide will turn. Right now, the tremendous advantage that the foreclosure mills have in terms of numbers is because of homeowners that default on being served with the papers. They sleep up, leave the keys on the counter, and leave. That's what I meant before when I said they're giving it away. They didn't have to do that. And I'm not saying that everybody should fight, but I'd like to see most people in the fight. Federal, state, and local regulators will wake up to the fact that they are too... They, too, are injured parties and that they, too, can claw back unpaid taxes, transfer fees, etc. They will realize, just like the state of Arizona did, that all of these fictitious transfers of interest in the note and mortgage were taxable events occurring in their jurisdiction because a profit was being earned as a result of the transfer of interest in securities. 
the site of which was at least arguably in Arizona. The failure to report, disclose, and file is the same as a false claim. Ketam or whistleblower actions are definitely possible again. Yes, you can get the business of state and local governments if you're a lawyer. When you get a few wins under your belt, you can say, look, I've done this. And you realize that the whole home finance scheme was and is a sham. The possibilities are almost endless. It's no secret. We all know that the documents are fabricated, false, and fraudulent. What everyone failed to ask was why they were fabricated, false, and fraudulent. Before the so-called era of securitization, which was not securitization, or as Adam Levinson said, it was securitization fail. Before the, the, the era of securitization, there were no fabricated, false, fraudulent documents filed in foreclosures. The bank came into court and said, here's our ledger. They had a witness that said he's the custodian of, the, of those records. And here's the establishment of the debt. And here's the debits and credits against that debt. You don't see that anymore. But it's still legally required. But if you don't insist on it, then unlike the era before securitization, the judge will not throw the foreclosing lawyer out of court. It used to be that if the judge didn't see all the right paperwork establishing the debt, the ownership, and the authority, that he would simply send the lawyer out and continue the case. And if he couldn't come back with it, he never got his foreclosure. Now it's up to the homeowner or the lawyer for the homeowner to aggressively pursue that. And that's where homeowners acting pro se and lawyers for them have failed to meet the test. Unless you are aggressive and relentless, they will steamroll you because their goal, they know they don't have a claim. They know they don't have a debt. They know they don't own the debt. They know they have no authority. So their goal is to steamroll you to the point of exhaustion. And all the major settlements that have occurred have been at the 11th hour when there was no other path out for them. And it was worth it to them because this amounted to trillions of dollars in pure profit to the investment banks when, who were thought by many people and by most homeowners to be holding their debts. But they're not. They were paid off in the process of securitization. Nobody has a loan account receivable because it isn't necessary and because if they did have a loan account receivable, they might be charged with fraud for selling the same asset over and over again. But when they issued all those securities and the derivatives on those securities, all they were doing was selling bets on data. So they could do that forever 
without being accused of fraud. The only relevant answer to foreclosure defense lies in the existence or non-existence of the three elements and the strategies and tactics you need to employ to attack the three basic elements of foreclosure and foreclosure defense. The first element is the existence of the obligation. Most people and their lawyers mistake this as producing proof of what happened when they entered into what they thought was a loan transaction. That's not what you do at the time of foreclosure. Yes, you need to know it wasn't a loan transaction, but you don't need to prove it. You don't even need to argue it. There are certain basic elements under the law that are required in order to get relief when you're seeking a foreclosure. You're not seeking relief from the court. They are. Even in non-judicial foreclosures, where the procedure is a little trickier, they must make the allegation and they must therefore prove that the obligation exists. They can't, but they will still win unless you vigorously contest their false claim, starting with the initial pleadings and motions and discovery and then follow-up motions for to compel, for sanctions, in limine, motions for negative inference, etc. The second element is ownership of, of the so-called underlying obligation. I've already said that we've established comfortably that, because we've challenged them thousands of times, that there is no ledger on which there is a loan account receivable. This is inconceivable to most lawyers, most homeowners. It's still true. So the second element being ownership of the so-called underlying obligation means that if there is no underlying obligation on the books of a creditor, then there's no ownership of it, and there is no creditor. This goes hand in hand with the existence of the obligation. If nobody has it on their accounting ledgers as a loan account receivable on which debits and credits are posted, then the obligation does not legally exist, and obviously nobody owns it. The third element is authority. This is more complex and it is cover for the false claims being brought against homeowners for the last 20 years. The reality is that securitization as practice pays off and eliminates any obligation of the homeowner to anyone. The alternate reality that most people believe is that parts of each homeowner transaction were sold to investors. This never happened in word or in deed. In other words, not at law, not in equity. Nobody thought that they were getting ownership or responsibility over the underlying obligation. That's in direct contravention of UCC Article 9, Section 203, which all U.S. jurisdictions have adopted. The whole point was not to do that so that they could issue and sell an an endless supply of securities 
that were bets on data points manufactured by investment banks who had the sole discretion as to what and when they would report anything. This is very hard to understand for people who are not investment bankers. It was not selling the so-called loan, and therefore they could never be accused of selling the same asset to multiple parties. But they sold securities to multiple parties based upon performance data reported by the investment bank. So on average, you had about $12 of revenue for every dollar paid to the homeowner. Notice I said paid to the homeowner, not given, not loaned, because that money that the homeowner got was a payment in exchange for the homeowner launching the business scheme, which was the issuance of securities. The homeowner issued a note only because of the lie that this transaction was a loan. But you can't have a loan without a lender. You can't have a loan without a loan account receivable. You can't have a loan without somebody being responsible for lending laws and servicing laws, etc. Instead, they inserted very thinly capitalized third parties who, if everything blew up, they'd throw them under the bus. So they never did sell it. In order to protect themselves, they needed to make sure that nobody in the tra- on the transaction team owned or maintained a loan account receivable anywhere on their own accounting ledgers. Again, you don't need to prove this. I'm just telling you this so you know what to ask for. People think if they ask for the ledger that shows the establishment of the of the loan, they're going to get it. You won't. I have thousands of cases where that was asked for. Not once have they ever come up with it. Not ever. In 14 years where I've been involved in litigation on this point and, and tens of thousands of cases reported to me, not one case where they came up with the ledger. Not one case where they showed proof of payment. The only way that entry gets on the ledger is by making a purchase for value of the underlying debt and getting a conveyance. How do you know that that was what it was for? Because they get a conveyance of ownership in the underlying obligation. Now, they're allowed to take advantage of the presumptions by presenting what they say is an original note. So it's the obligation of the lawyer and the homeowner to rebut that presumption saying, hey, that note, even if it is the original, was delivered by somebody who did not own the underlying obligation, and therefore the delivery of the note was not a change of title of the underlying obligation. And we're going to ask in discovery for proof that the underlying obligation exists. And they will never, ever, ever give you that proof. At which point you have a motion to compel, motion for sanctions, and you can ask the lawyer to bar any evidence as to the existence 
ownership or authority over the debt. That's what I've done. Other lawyers have done the same thing. Not that I'm a genius trial lawyer. I happen to know a lot about investment banking. That's why I do this work. So whether it is authority to enforce a note or authority to enforce a mortgage or deed of trust, there is a complete absence of any foundation to prove that the owner of a loan account receivable gave authority to anyone to enforce. This is skipped over by many people because the the so-called allegation of delivery of the original note carries with it, if not a presumption, then an assumption that along with the delivery, there was a grant of the power to enforce that note and therefore the power to enforce the underlying debt because the note is evidence of the debt. It is not the debt. The only way they can prove authority is by convincing the court to assume that that the authority exists by virtue of relying on fake documents that are then accepted by the trial court into evidence. Those documents memorialize transactions that never happened. So, instead of just letting them in, you can test them and you ask your opposition about the transactions that never happened. Most lawyers and pro se homeowners fail to do this because they assume that the transaction did happen. That's exactly how I've won so many cases. Then they persuade the trial judge to apply legal presumptions arising from the apparent facial validity of the documents. That's a subject for a whole seminar. But those presumptions are rebuttable and if they fail or refuse to answer questions in discovery or at trial, you can beat them like a drum. They can't counter that defense narrative because they have no claim. So the moral of this story is concentrate and focus on three things, the three elements, existence, ownership, and authority. Existence of the debt, ownership of the debt, and authority over the debt. Who does that authority come from? It can only come from the party who either owns the underlying obligation that they say exists, or who represents the owner of the underlying obligation that they say exists. There is no wiggle room there. And that's why there are judgments for the homeowner. Lawyers take note. You can win these cases. You can get more respect from the legal community by winning these cases. You can charge higher and higher fees because you've won these cases. And you have 
the additional options of getting a fee award, which maybe you split with the client or maybe you have some other agreement, and potentially a piece of the sanctions and uh, uh, compensatory and punitive damages if, if you present them properly. I said this in 2008, out of hundreds of lawyers who attended my seminars, there's only about a dozen or two dozen lawyers who actually listened to me. One of them had only $10,000 left to his name. They all became multimillionaires. So the lawyers who listened to this, if you are ambitious and if you want to make a name for yourself and if you want to make a lot of money, then get involved in foreclosure defense. That's it for tonight, folks. See you next week with more exciting information about foreclosure defense for homeowners and for small investors who own a few properties. The opinions expressed on The Neil Garfield Show are those of its hosts and should not be ascribed to any other persons or entities. For more information about Neil, the blog, or upcoming seminars, please visit livinglies.me. Give us a call at 954-451-1230 or send an email to n-e-i-l-f-g-a-r-f-i-e-l-d at hotmail.com. Thank you for listening to The Neil Garfield Show. If the information has helped you, consider making a donation by visiting livinglies.me.